It's Leah here. Let's talk for a second. Rochelle Page, our dear friend, you know her, you love her. She's an author. If you have not read her, now is the time. The McMahon Clan Alpha has spoken only 99 cents for this four book collection from Rochelle Page. So, seriously, there's four books in this bundle, it's 99 cents. When you hear the names of these books, I swear to God, you're going to click. It's wonderful. Bear the consequences. Bear it all. Bear the burden. And bear your fate. I'm sorry, but if you can't have an entire bear series with punny names, don't come at me. Family grudges, enemies, witchcraft. Nothing will stand in the way of these sexy bear shifters when they find their fated mates. This box set contains all four stories from the McMahon clan. And if I'm saying that wrong, it's Rochelle's fault because she didn't message me back at midnight and answer on how to pronounce that. Go grab it, lady listeners. Rochelle Page has the McMahon clan alpha series. Marked down for 99 cents, four books, one click. Get on it. We'll see you guys in just a second. Welcome back to Read Me Romance. Hey, it's Thursday. Technically, it's just a moment after we recorded Tuesday, so I'm still fired up. I'm just going to let it go. (laughs) You're here with Katie Wilde with us this week, The Midnight Bride. It was previously played, I think, in season one on the podcast. So we're going back through and playing some of our favorites in this season. So we're super excited. Before I forget, next week is spring break for us So at the podcast, so we're going to take the week off. So if you're waiting until the end to find out who's going to be next week, it's nobody. <laughs> but um, we'll be back the week after with a brand new audio book from Olivia Turner. She's got a book that's called I Look Good on You. And I read it. It's super dirty. You guys are going to love it. Oh, like yeah. Ready to go. Oh, I like that. Hell yeah. So we'll be back with that after spring break. After it's basically we're taking the week after Easter off. So um, which leads me into why I'm not going to be here for spring break. So part of the reason why we're taking off. So my friend Carrie, who has done advertisements of the podcast with us before, she does um, Magical Adventures by Carrie. I know that I have talked probably many, many, many times before about her and how amazing she is and what a truly wonderful person she is. Like, I don't know that I've met a person that is just as solid gold as she is, just a heart of gold, a good person, so kind and and lovely. You know, all that aside, she's she's a travel agent. And we met through my sister. We went to the same high school, but she was several years younger than me. But she's neighbors with my sister. And so when my sister was like, they got to be good friends, she introduced me and I was just like, oh my God, I love this woman. January of last year, well, a little bit before that, we had done ads with her on the podcast and she was just trying to get her name out there, get her business going. You know, she's, like I said, she's a travel agent. She works for herself. She does it all on her own. So she was just trying to grow her business and she thought, well, how can I do that? Can I, can I reach out with you? And like, she had helped us before. I was like, absolutely. We'll do the ads. I'll recommend you. 
I also just want to let you know a travel agent doesn't cost money. They oh, actually yeah, find you better yeah. deals. Yeah, that's a hundred percent true. I've never paid Carrie a dime for any of the bookings she done. She's done for us. She booked us in Disneyland when we went with my family in California like three years ago, and she also did a trip for me to Universal. But she's also done trips for me when I've gone overseas or anytime I've gone to the U.S. She'll book hotel reservations for me because she gets me better deals and stuff, especially with Marriotts. So anyways, in January of last year, she had really like put a ton into her business and it was set to be a record business year for her. Like that was going to be her highest month ever in January of 2020. And she texted me that month and was just like, I'm so thankful that I did this. I'm so thankful for your podcast, for all that it's done and all the new clients it's brought me. This has been incredible. I've made these great relationships. And then... As the the month went on from January, one by one, all these trips started canceling because of COVID. So she went from like having her best month ever in all the years she had done this. She went down to having the worst year in her history of her business. So it was, I know this really impacted their family. Her husband, he he has a good job and he works really hard, but I know like, They have worked hard their whole lives to make their ends meet. And it's just like, it really broke my heart when, when I found this out in the travel industry in general, there are so many out there who work in the travel industry on cruise ships and hotels. And, and, you know, I saw this picture the other day where it said, um, they were this, this hotel had, everybody had like all these matching t-shirts on. This is on NPR. They were talking about COVID stories and the hotel was so excited. They were about to welcome like this business for this big this big party and they were like this is the week of lockdown so we all thought it would be funny to wear our shirts to work and take a picture anyways even though the business wasn't coming since everything was closed and they were like a year later 90 percent of these employees don't work there anymore because they had to like downsize their jobs and stuff and like get rid of them and it was just it's heartbreaking the travel industry has been hit so incredibly hard with this you know along with others as well. But this story in particular affects me personally because she's my friend. She texted me a couple, I think it was a couple days ago last week. And she said, I just want to let you know, she was, I booked a trip with her. We're going to Disney over spring break and my, my family is. And so she said, I just want to let you know with your families uh, booking with Disney, she was like, this is, this month is going to be my best month ever. She was like, this is going to be better than January of 2020. So she was, I know she said, she was like, it's coming back. And she was like, people are booking trips. And she said, I think everybody got that stimmy check and just wants to get the fuck out of town. So two trips in like two days. So I'm, I'm really excited. My, my parents and my siblings, all of us are, we're celebrating. We all got vaccinated. Even LB did like, she's coming with us. So like my, my entire extended family, my brothers and sisters and my parents, we all got vaccinated and we're all just celebrating. We're going to Disney and we're, we're leaving next Wednesday. So I'm just, I'm so thrilled that I've never been to Disney World, first of all. So I've I've been to Disneyland before in California, but this is just a whole other beast, but I'm just so thankful, like, that we're able to do this now, and, and Carrie, like, she hooked it up. We made one phone call. That was it. We're like, Carrie, want to go to Disney? And she's like, I got you. And it seriously was, like, not only just easy and awesome, but just to be able to, like, I never call her on the phone. I always text her. She was like, every client I have texts me. She was like, yeah. it's the easiest thing for me to, and I love that, because I am so intimidated by calling someone on the phone now. Yes, and, me too. And maybe COVID. I don't want to do it. 
I know. I was like, I don't know if this is pre-COVID I make my or husband not. do it. Even for stuff yeah, that's supposed just, to be for me. I'm like, if I have to speak to a live person, I won't do it. <laughs> so I do like that I can just text her. But she's uh, Magical Adventures by Carrie. So definitely check her out. Um, I'll, I'll post up some pictures while You're I'm You're going to be gone for a stuff, while, but. aren't you? Like 10 days. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's Wednesday to the following Wednesday. So I have that whole time blocked out, though, for when we get back. And we're, you know, we have a rest day in between, but we're going to hit them hard. We're going to hit those parks hard. Mm, that's awesome. Now, I've never been, and I want to see it all. And it's probably going to kill. By day two, I'm going to be dead. I mean, what have I been doing for the past year? Been sitting on my fucking ass. <laughs> like, I have, I have no muscles in my legs anymore. I, like, it's just fat. It's going to be so so weird. I don't know why. I'm not scared, but just the weirdness getting on the plane. Yeah. I'm going to Celia's on Wednesday. Oh, fun. I'm going to be going to Texas. So I'm like, God, it's coming up around the corner. That's so great. Are you going to go see her cat? That's why you're going to (laughs) (laughs) You're going to go compare cats? Pretty much. You're going to take Biggie with you? No. He's so big now. I can't. How far is it for you from where she lives? Can you not? I guess it is probably really a long drive. It would be like a 12-hour drive, I think. And it's only yeah, like a two-hour flight. Yeah, yeah. I def- anything over like 10 hours, I'm like, no, I'm not I'm not. And my that. airport is super easy to get into. So I only have to be there like 45 minutes before the flight. Yeah, that's nice. We're driving to Disney. It's seven hours or just seven and some change. So it's not too bad. Like, my kids are so used to that. So they were like, Plus, all the fine. shit you're going to have to bring back. It'll I know. Nice that's what that's it, to too. I was like, we can it. bring more stuff. I know we can bring more stuff. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm so excited to be able to do this. And, you know, I'm really excited that we all got our vaccines and we're doing it the safest way we can. But also, I'm just, I'm really happy that, you know, that my friend is like, her, her business is doing better. You know, it was such good news I got this past week because I just remember how last year how devastated she was, you know. So it's awesome. I'm just, I'm excited for her. So if you are planning on spending your stimulus check, she, I told her, I said, you need to do ads that just say stimulus vacation packages. <laughs> I know, right? Like, I was like, just do that. And she's like, that's a really good idea. But she was like, well, I take deposits. So maybe they could just like, they, she, you can pay in installments and stuff. And she was like, that's a really good idea. I'll just do like stimulus payments. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's a good note too. When they book your trip, you can do like, payments over time before the trip comes up. I remember doing that a lot Mm -hmm. when I was younger and it's so helpful Mm -hmm. and everybody's paying their shares and stuff like that. It works out really great when you're not giving all the money at once and you're kind of slowly putting it in there. And then Mm -hmm. once you leave for the trip, all you have to pay for now is like your food. Yeah. Well, and she does like all inclusives and stuff. Like she does a ton of those where she's like, all you have to put down is $250. It holds your trip. And then she was like, and you can pay installments until it's time to go. And I was like, fuck yes. Where are we going? So I'm super excited about that. She did say, I think she said in Mexico, if so in the US right now, if you leave the United States before you come back and you have to take a COVID test. But she was saying, in Mexico, I think if you test positive, you can stay at the resort for free. Like if you have to quarantine there, like if Damn. you test positive and you have to stay in Mexico, I was like, oh, that must be terrible. <laughs> no, please don't make me go back to work. <laughs> All right. I wanted to so. ask you something because I wasn't okay. sure if I'm handling it correctly. All right. So give it to me. I was talking to Isabel. She wants, or Izzy, whatever. She, 
she's jonesing to get out or she was jonesing to get out of the house she was Mm -hmm. excited she's such a people person and Mm -hmm. the rest of us are not yeah so I was like so what are you gonna do first I was like come Friday you can go do whatever the hell you want and what happens Friday um, well, actually, it'll be a couple more weeks because Rob's not, uh, my, I'm clear. As of Friday this week, I'm, my vaccine's full on back. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. But she was like, I'm not ready to go back out. And I was like, what? She's like, I'm just not happy with my body. Aww. And she's a tiny thing. Mm-hmm. But I just, part of me is like, oh, I don't want you to feel that way, but the other part of me, what I've been doing, and I don't know if it's the right, because maybe I'm mm-hmm. encouraging it. I've been getting her healthy stuff when I go, and I'll tell her how many calories are in it. And make sure I don't bring things in the house, which I don't, but I don't know if that's wrong or that's right. I mean, if she's, if I tell her, your body's fine, your body's fine, she, that's not going to do nothing. Yeah. I feel like the only thing I can do is... I guess, help her get to where she wants to go. Yeah. But it still feels kind of wrong. Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, that's so tough. Oh, that makes me feel so sad for her, too. Because what is it? I guess, what is, what's the intent, then? You know, what does she want to look like? I think she wants probably, like, abs, tone. Because mm-hmm. she's really small already. Yeah, yeah. I think she wants to be I more just, defined. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, there's definitely like an expectation, you know, of, of wanting to look a certain way, but also loving yourself the way that you are. That's that's so hard because, you know, part of me too is like, you know, if you talk to her about calories and food and stuff like that, are you making her hyper aware of it? No. Or are you, sometimes she doesn't want to eat stuff. <clears throat> Or she's like, yeah. I can't, I was going somewhere, she's like, no, I'll just make something here. And I, she's like, I'll try to find something here. And I was like, well, you could get this for this. She's like, really? And I was like, yes. She's like, okay, give me that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's what I was going to say. Like, the other side of that is like, okay, you're telling it her and she's hyper aware of it. Or you're not telling her at all and she's not educated on what she's putting in her body. You know, yeah. it's like. That's such a hard thing. And I, you know, and, and kids look to us a lot of times on how we look at ourselves. You know, do we hate our bodies? Are we yeah. punishing our bodies? Like, yeah. Um, I think that TikTok's kind of jaded or ruined her too because she's a lesbian and she sees all those lesbians that are all like hotted out. Even I've been like, whoa, to some yeah. of them. And they're all like, toned and dressed nice I think it's something like that she wants to look like if I had to guess which to get that body you have to work out yeah that's like um yeah no other way Mm -hmm. oh man god I don't know I just know that like as long as you're coming from a place of love I don't know that anything you're doing is wrong I mean, because you don't know what the right thing is, you know, and I, I don't know, like, I think of it a lot of times, like, if I'm the one that cooks in this house, so if my family's fat, it's my fault, <laughs> you know, like, it, it truly is, it's, it's really shitty to think of it that way, and it really sucks, like, to break it down like that, but 
I try to come from it from a place of love. Like I try to explain what healthy foods are and when, you know, that kind of thing. I don't do a great job. I don't take care of myself. Like I could do a much better job at it, but I'm also really, I'm okay with the way I look. Like I think I look great. Like would I like to lose weight? Sure. Do I want to do the work behind it? Fuck no. So like it's. Yeah. I just wanted to feel, cause usually she's so confident about things. I just wanted to feel yeah, okay yeah. in her skin. Mm-hmm. I think that's the message that I, I try more than anything to convey is like, you'll always have a relationship with food, good, bad, or ugly, no matter what it is, you'll always have a relationship, but it's like, do you hate yourself? You know, like, do you want to make it look better because you think it would look better or because you're trying to be someone else? Yeah. What do you want Izzy to look like? Yeah. Do you want Izzy to look like this other person or do you want her to be different, you know, because you want to be different? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, that's so hard. Oh, I just want to give her a big hug and tell her to eat a sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) My love language is food. That's how I make everybody feel good. (laughs) Like, just here, have some butter. You'll be fine. Oh, I love her so much. So, oh, I have, speaking of sizes, I have a note on here that I wanted to give an update on the craving situation on the robe, the bathrobe. I sent you the email I got the other day. They responded back and they apologized for the confusion on the sizing and they refunded my money for the robe, which I, I definitely didn't expect and I wasn't looking for it at all. I said, you know, it was my own fault for not measuring or whatever. But they said the reason on the website that their sizing on their robe is 2XL to 4XL is because that was what the manufacturer said. And that's what they put on there. And I was just like, you know, honestly, it's your website. Why don't you put what you want? I know if maybe it was made in Europe or something because their sizes do run like a little bit like that more. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like an extra large here is a large there or whatever. And maybe that's what it is. But you like she should adjust on an American website yeah so I don't know I just like I thought that was a very easy excuse although they were very lovely in their email back about how they dealt with it and they apologized and they said they that there's always room for improvement and they want to do better and they appreciated the feedback and they refunded my money and I did use the money that they refunded me to go back on the website and buy one of the roaster pots so there's her pots are nice I uh, know they are nice. She actually has a knife set too that's super nice. And nobody and I was like nobody told me that you can't wash them. What? Somebody said you can't wash cast iron whatever. Okay, okay, I'll I'll correct them on this. You cannot wash cast iron in the dishwasher. But this is an enamel coated cast iron. Yes, it's dishwasher size. Okay. I was like, what? She says it she says it on her dish her she says it on her website because I even look too because it says she has a cast iron grill that's coated and she says it's dishwasher safe, but it's recommended to hand wash. Okay. But that's on the grill thing. On the on the enamel pot, fuck it. I put mine in the dishwasher all the fucking time. Okay. I was like, seriously? This is bullshit. Not that I do the dishes or cook, but still. (laughs) Not that I do the dishes or cook. (laughs) That made my whole day. I love that. (laughs) I have some lady listener emails. Do you want them? Yeah. 
Okay. I'm so excited. These are wonderful. Hold on. I have one that I want. I've pre-read one because it had my name on it, and I'm going to save it for last. All right. All right. This one is called Honestly Living. Hey, Lady DJs. I just wanted to let y'all know that Leah screamed, fuck you. <laughs> And let me tell you where to start eating my ass. <laughs> In episode 115.1 had me rolling and I'm just living for the pure vigor y'all feel about Moxie. Oh, I was talking about the movie Moxie. Oh. When, uh, I was like, I don't know when. I, I'm sure I said it. I wasn't going to argue, but I didn't know when. Thank you for the laughs. Thanks you for, thank you for being amazing, Chelsea. That's my. I love that. That's it. That's my favorite <laughs> thing to say when I'm mad. Eat my ass. Eat my. Eat my ass. <laughs> it feels so good. This one has no subject. Hey, lady DJs, just finished last week's podcast and wanted to reach out. Leah, I just finished the Nikki Sloan t- trilogy and the Redemption. Holy fuck! Oh my god, that series is so fucking good. These books were hot and had a great story. I'd expect nothing less from Nikki Sloan. I can't wait for Vance's book. Me too. I'm reading the arc of the architect this week. Oh, this is from, I don't know. This is from February. Oh, okay. Because the architect is out yeah. now, but I haven't read it yet because I don't know. I think it's a love triangle and it scares me. Oh, shit. As you, yeah, as you mentioned, new authors having trouble building their, also you mentioned new authors having trouble building their fan base. Send them my info. About the only thing I don't read is paranormal or high school tropes. But honestly, I share a lot on my book Instagram or bookstagram. Sorry. Just because this isn't my jam doesn't mean someone else won't like it. Fuck your day up, Lisa. And she included her Instagram handle on here. And it is pursue what sets your soul on fire. That is long, Lisa. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes for you guys. Yes. Okay. We'll have it in the show notes. Pursue what sets your heart on what sets your soul on fire. God damn it. <laughs> Pursue what sets your soul on fire. So that's our Instagram. There you go. So if you're an author or whatever, you want to get somebody to read your book, get Lisa. She'll do it. This one is amazing advice. Hey Leah and Mel, I just finished listening to episode 119.2 with Dylan Allen's book. Oh, I just had that. And y'all were talking about Sarah J. Mass's book. Leah changed my life with one sentence. My name is in all of these emails. And I'm so sorry. I just now realized that. Because I said the last one I saw my name. I didn't even notice it in the other ones. Leah, you changed my life with one sentence. It doesn't have to be the best. It just has to be yours. I craft a lot and really enjoy learning any new skills. But I hate showing what I make because I just don't have a lot of confidence in my abilities. I also tend to want to be the best in whatever I do. So I feel like there's always someone doing it better than me. So why show off my creativity? The single sentence really made me reconsider how I view my own creations. So thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for that one sentence. Devoted reader and crafter, Chelsea. Oh, and I messaged her back when she sent this. And I said, do you have an Etsy shop or, uh, an Etsy shop or anything where we can share your crafts? And she said, I do not. The idea of someone paying me to make something gives me some serious anxiety. I just love making things to make someone smile. I appreciate the willingness to promote your readers though. XOXO. So I just, I know I thought that was really sweet. And that's when we were talking about, um, 
uh, Corey's corner and um, the thing she posted up about she wanted to do a book box and she was like, you know, everybody else is doing a book box. And she was like, but yeah, her friend was like, you know, there's not a you book box. So it doesn't have to be the best. It just has to be yours. That's what it said on the thing. So it's great. All right. This is my last one. And it's from Carrie. And I read this one beforehand because I saw it was from her. She's one of our admins in Read Me Romance headquarters. And I was like, is she doing emailing us? So I'm going to try to read this without getting all teary-eyed. I'm watching the episode where Leah is talking about buying flowers for herself because she got an overwhelming feeling that her grandma would want her to have them. When I was a kid, I told my mom I didn't want to view the body of a family member because she didn't look or feel like herself in the casket. She said that it's because it's not her. The person that we love lives in the moments that we remember that we remember them. Every time you make one of their recipes, feel an ache of familiarity with someone that reminds you of them, or they just pop into your heart as a random thought or a memory, that's them letting you know that they love you too. God damn it. <laughs> Oh, I like, I sobbed through the first time I read this. They love you too, and they're checking up on you. Lean into the memories, and your people will never leave you. That's really sweet. sweet. It's a a lovely way to think of it. It is. Lean into the memories. That, like, really got me. Carrie, you bitch! (laughs) (laughs) She says, this is cool too. She said, because I'm a hippie, I'll leave you with this. I put the flowers that y'all sent me on my patio table to get some sun and a hummingbird comes to visit them a few times a day. In Celtic folklore, hummingbirds are messengers between the mortal and spiritual worlds and they represent good luck or positive omens in all cultures. It's said that when they come near you, it's your people looking in on you. I don't believe in coincidences, so I don't think that it's an accident that your flowers are bringing me hummingbirds while I'm watching you talk about your beautiful grandma moment on youtube love you carrie that was awesome i know (laughs) sweet and i hate her for this (laughs) so that was really sweet and i'm glad we shared that too (sighs) so should we send them in (laughs) yeah yeah let's send you into the to the second installment of the midnight bride by katie wilde we'll see you on the other side chapter three strax the vow keeper Strax had married Mara at midnight. By dawn, his bride was already trying to run away, and she was trying to do it quietly. She'd fallen asleep in his arms while they rode away from Wintermere, then briefly awakened again when he made camp. Custom demanded their hands remain tied with the red ribbon until morning, so she hadn't protested when he'd made a single bed, nor when he'd determined that the easiest position for them to sleep was with Strax on his back and Mara lying atop his chest. There she'd fallen quickly asleep again, her head pillowed on his shoulder and her legs straddling his waist, while Strax had lain beneath her with his cock hard and his heart full. So very full, because Mara was his wife. And despite everything, She must feel safe with him to fall asleep in his arms so easily. And his heart was full, because she had wept upon discovering that he must stop her from returning the gauntlet to her tyrant king. Her every tear had pierced Strax's chest. Yet his wife had shed those tears because she believed they must be enemies. If the thought disappointed and hurt her, 
Mara must want more from Strax than ever had she said. Strax didn't know the solution to the chasm that yawned between them, but he would discover a way to bridge it, because he would never be separated from his wife. Yet she was already putting distance between them. Ever so slowly, only moving her fingers, she began to work her hand free of the ribbon. Not a sound she made, as if she feared waking him. Her warm breath trembled softly against his neck. The softness of her breasts pressed into his chest, with only her tunic to prevent her skin from touching his. Yet nothing lay between her inner thighs, clasping his sides or the sultry warmth of her womanhood from his stomach. She'd been naked in that cell when he'd given her his tunic to wear, and she was still bare beneath it. The ribbon's knot loosened, freeing her hand from his. Yet Strax could not let her go yet. When his fingers clasped hers, telling her that he was awake, her body went utterly still. Utterly still and waiting. Because although Mara felt safe enough to sleep in his arms, she also didn't trust him. His heart ached with the knowing of it, and knowing that he'd done nothing to earn her trust in all these months. But Strax would begin to earn it on this day. He would earn her trust, and anything else she'd be willing to give him. Forgive me, Mara, he said to her softly. Silence reigned for a breath, as if she couldn't think of a reason why he needed to be forgiven. Finally, she whispered, What for? Because I didn't wake you in the manner a husband should wake his wife. What manner is that? Strax would have preferred to show her. Instead, he told her, with my head between your thighs and my mouth upon your cunt. Her breath stopped against his throat. Convulsively, her fingers tightened on his. Yet she said not a word. Hunger roughened his voice. Do you wish me to wake you properly, my wife? Her hesitation made his heart sore. The abrupt... No, that followed mattered not at all, because that brief hesitation exposed the temptation she must feel, as did her body when, in the rush of getting away from him, she rocked back to sit up, and her femininity encountered the turgid cockstand that jutted up over his lower abdomen. She froze, and in the dim light, Strax saw the way her gaze widened and her lips parted but all he could feel was her feminine flesh, so hot and wet against his bare shaft, and groan when she bit her lower lip and hitched her hips down, then up and up and up, as if measuring the rigid length of him with the slick heat of her cunt. Her body shuddered when she reached the tip and the blunt head of his cock rolled over her clitoris. A soft moan escaped her throat, and her eyes rolled back. Then, all at once, she was on her feet, the furs thrown aside and frigid air kissing the trail of wetness she'd left behind on his erection. 
even as Strax clenched his jaw against the agonizing arousal that she'd mercilessly abandoned, joy burst through him. So blessed he was to have a wife as hot as the sun and as wet as the ocean. All such a woman needed was a man as solid as the earth itself, and that was he. Strax would be the firm ground beneath her feet and the hard stone that filled her cunt. He rolled onto his side, gripping his cock to stroke her honeyed wetness into his skin. Mara was already preparing to leave, carrying her saddle to her horse. A frown pulled at his mouth as he watched her cross the harsh, cold ground in bare feet. Take my boots, wife, and my leather leggings, too. They would be far too big for her, just as his tunic was, but she could lace them tight enough to stay on. In the chill spring air, he could make do by tying a fur around his waist. Stuff your boots up your ass, she snapped, and Strax grinned. And lie abed all morning as you usually do, husband. The word was a sneer. In a lithe movement, she mounted her mare, then abruptly stopped when her gaze fell upon him, her mouth open as if she'd meant to say something else, but the sight of Strax running his big fist the length of his cock knocked the words from her tongue. This is why I always lie abed, Mara, he told her gruffly while his fingers squeezed and stroked his throbbing erection. I remain in my furs and dream of having you. Her startled gaze flew from his cock to his face, and doubt filled her voice. You dreamt of me, but you always said you would say that I was... She trailed off, her throat working. Almost reluctantly, it seemed, she glanced at his thick length again. A deep breath lifted her breasts within his tunic, her stiffened nipples showing faintly through the heavy weave. The tip of her tongue darted out to touch the upper bow of her lip as a pearled drop of seed spilled from the crown. Then, without another word, she reined her horse around and started off, not along the road west, but striking out to the north. Before this day, Strax would have lingered in his furs until his seeds spurted into his hand. But yesterday, he'd done so, and she'd been captured, imprisoned, and the fire that burned inside her had almost been doused. Now it flamed brightly again, and Strax would follow that flame, Wherever she went, he had two vows to keep, one a blood oath to never allow the gauntlet's power to be abused, and the other a promise to be her devoted husband. Somehow, he would fulfill both vows, but he could not do that abed. So, with his cock still throbbing, Strax leapt to his feet and followed her. Chapter 4 Mara the Thirsty Though she heard the barbarian's horse approaching, Mara refused to look back. Instead, she kept her gaze focused ahead. In the distance, the black eye sockets of the skull cliffs stared out over the plains. Legend was 
that the skulls belonged to the cruel gods who'd once roamed this land, before the goddess Kaidids had slain them and put their giant rotting heads on display as a warning to any other being who might abuse others with his power. If the legend had any truth to it, Mara knew not. She only knew that the cliffs were the final obstacle before she reached Kaidid's keep. All that lay between her and those cliffs was several days' journey across the Lonewood Plain, and a husband who intended to stop her from winning the tournament. The only pain greater than knowing Strax was bound by a blood oath to stop her was the pain of imagining what would happen to her family and everyone under her family's protection if she failed. Her brothers and sisters, the youngest of whom was only five years of age. Her parents, who'd only shown love and kindness to all who'd sought help from them during Solegius's cruel reign. Their only crime had been standing firm against the sorcerer king's tyranny and for refusing to send Mara to his bed. She'd gone anyway when Solegius threatened to retaliate against her family for their defiance. Then she'd committed the unforgivable crime that sealed everyone's fate. When Solegius had lowered his handsome face to kiss her, she'd gagged. Her punishment for that insult to his vanity was to make her join a tournament no one believed she could survive, let alone win. But sending her on a route that should kill her was not enough for Solegius, so he'd added the burden of thousands of lives upon her shoulders. Mara would be carrying that burden up those cliffs, just as she'd carried it across thousands of miles. That weight hadn't broken her as everyone expected. Instead, it had strengthened her. Yet no matter how strong she'd become, Mara still struggled to shrug off Strax's insults and doubts. Nor could she easily shrug away the hurt of knowing he could never help her win the tournament. But even if he wasn't obligated by a blood vow to stop her, she couldn't depend on him. So their marriage had changed nothing. Except now she knew why he'd always followed in last place. He didn't stay behind her this day, however, instead riding up alongside her mare and matching her pace. Fill your belly, wife, he commanded, holding out a thick slice of bread topped with soft white cheese and golden honey. Her stomach rumbled at the sight, and since everything she owned had been stolen, except for her sword and a few items in her saddlebags, Mara accepted the meal. Her soft thanks was met with a look of such fierce satisfaction that she didn't glance at him again while she ate. Nonetheless, Mara was acutely aware of his huge presence beside her. Her husband wore the leathers and boots she'd refused, yet despite the cold drizzle that fell from gray skies, he didn't drape his furs over his shoulders and chest. Instead, Strax faced the rain as a mountain did, with water running in rivulets over the stony ridges of his muscles, silently inviting her to quench her thirst by sipping from the streams that flowed over his bronze skin. Oh, and she was so very thirsty. She licked her sticky lips and looked over to find Strax staring at her mouth, his eyes hot enough to catch her blood afire. I will see you well fed, Mara he said in a voice thick with desire, a voice that promised to fill her up with more than bread, a voice that touched every yearning need inside her. 
not just the thirst of her tongue or even the hunger of her body, but the painful longing within her heart. Because she was tired and lonely, and this journey had been so very hard. The only pleasure she'd known since leaving home had been the pleasure Strax had given since freeing her from that cage. His slow, thorough kiss when he'd married her. The warmth and strength of his arms holding her so tight. The fierce, burning sensation of his bare skin against hers. And the sheer ecstasy of feeling his rigid length against her most intimate flesh. Strax had killed a tyrant to save her, and she hated the hope that rose within her now, like a foolish rabbit leaving the safety of its underground burrow, despite knowing that disappointment waited to pounce and tear it to shreds. You destroyed Thaddeus. Could you not do the same to Solegius? Jaw clenching, Strax shook his head. Thaddeus was unprepared for the likes of me. Solegius is not. The likes of you? He indicated his side, where runes carved over his ribs glowed faintly gold and protected him against enchantments and spells. Mara only knew what purpose the runes served because his brother Eric had once told her. Everyone in the Deadlands was born with more power than any sorcerer in the West, yet they almost all voluntarily bound their magic to their own flesh with those runes, rendering themselves incapable of casting spells, except for the protective wards written into their skin. Arik had called a sorcerer's spells corrupted magic that slowly pushed the world out of balance. And he'd claimed that love and kindness were pure, uncorrupted magic, and the most powerful of all magics, followed by courage and trust, and rage and hate. The love Mara felt for her family seemed enough to fill an ocean, so did her hate for Solegius. Yet neither her love nor hate could save them and defeat Aramon's king, no matter what the barbarians in the Deadlands believed. Thaddeus attacked me with spells, Strax continued, but he'd have been better served to enchant a weapon and use it against me. Solegius knows that. If he hadn't protected himself so well, Auric and I would have killed him when we were in Aramond. Impervious to spells, but not against items enchanted by spells. Would Thaddeus's collar have bound you as it did me? It would. Strax hadn't been able to break the collar either. As she recalled what else Strax had told her before he'd removed it, the sweet honey of her tongue turned bitter. I suppose your love is what broke the enchantment on the collar? It is, he agreed easily. Her throat tightened. Why do you lie? You claimed me. That gave you power over the collar, that is all. His steady gaze met hers. And what led me to claim you? Why did I follow you, if not because I love you? The pain of hearing it again was like a knife in her chest. Stop, she begged him hating both the plea and how the thickness of her voice betrayed her hurt. I cannot bear you saying that to me. Not when she knew it to be untrue. Perhaps he lusted after her or pitied her. She could accept that those reasons drove him to Wintermere. But love? No. She might wish it, but wishing had no more magic than love or trust did, no matter what he said. 
Torment darkened his eyes, a torment she'd seen in him before, on the night his brother had been swept overboard into an unforgiving sea. Unable to bear the pain in that look, Mara glanced away from him, but his hoarse reply followed her. Until you trust my word, I will not say it again. Never would I hurt you, Mara. That she damn well knew for a lie. These past six months, he'd hurt her with his words again and again. Every time he'd told her to give up, every time he hadn't believed in her. Her husband didn't think she could win, so she didn't understand why he rode at her side now. If someone has already claimed the gauntlet, she told him tightly, then you are on the wrong road to intercept them. They were not on a road at all, but striking a new path north from Wintermere to the cliffs. But her observation seemed not to concern Strax. With a shrug, he told her, if the gauntlet is gone when we reach the keep, I'll pursue whoever took it and stop him before he reaches Aramond. But the gauntlet will still be there. How could he be so certain? More than 30 warriors are ahead of me. And in the countless generations since the gauntlet was locked inside the keep, thousands more have attempted to take it, and they all failed. Do you believe such a powerful weapon would be left undefended? Weapon? She looked to him in confusion. It is but a useless artifact, Strax shook his head. That is a lie spread by my clan to prevent others from seeking its power. Yet Solegius must have learned the truth. Sending warriors to fetch the gauntlet for him and calling it a tournament? Why would he not seek it himself? Because a sorcerer's corrupted magic is useless within Kaidi's keep, and Solegius is nothing without his spells and enchantments. That was truth. Yet Mara could hardly grasp the rest, though it also made sense. Why would any warrior swear a blood oath over a useless artifact? No one would. What kind of weapon is it? It's one of two gauntlets that the goddess Kaides forged from the hearts of the gods she killed. He gestured ahead at the skull cliffs. His tone deepened and became more rhythmic, as if this was a story often heard or often told. When her own life began to fade, Kaides passed the gauntlets to a queen she trusted, who in turn passed them on to her twin sons. Together, the brothers ruled, until one of the gauntlets was destroyed while they battled the demon hordes, and they began to fight for possession of the remaining one. Because despite the love they had for each other, neither brother trusted that the other would wield the gauntlet's power as it should be wielded. The demon hordes. That was a time not simply ancient, but so far in the past that all Mara knew of that age were legends of legends. You are speaking of the wolf brothers who broke the world. That is only a tale parents tell their children to make them stop arguing. It is not a tale, Strax said. And they were not wolves, but kings who broke the world. But with the last of her strength, Kaides put it together again and built her keep. And made the brothers' descendants vow that they would stop anyone from misusing the gauntlet's power again. 
Those descendants became your clan? Face grim, he nodded. And my brother and I are the last. Are the last, because he still believed that his brother lived. Why does your clan not reside at the keep? The gauntlet's guardians do. The blood oath only demands that we do not allow anyone to misuse the weapon. And who could be trusted to wield so much power? Not Solegius. His dark eyes met hers. If you put the gauntlet into that sorcerer's hand, not only your family or your people will be killed and enslaved. So Legius would enslave the world. So even if I were not bound by a blood oath, I'd do everything I could to prevent him from having it. Would you not do the same if you were me? A deep ache opened up in her heart because she would do the same, but she was not him. In a painful whisper, Mara said, if you wish to fulfill your oath, you should ride the other road. Perhaps no one else has retrieved the gauntlet, but you can't be certain, yet you are certain I have not. I will not leave your side, wife, nor will you want me to. Something in his voice stopped her automatic denial. She glanced over with a frown. Strax gestured ahead. That is Lonewood's tree. The cursed tree that sucked the surrounding land dry, leaving only a barren wasteland. Its crooked trunk was clearly visible in the distance. And although they were still passing through the grasslands north of Wintermere, the vegetation around them had been steadily thinning, as if they'd reached Lonewood's border. I had thought it farther from the city, Mara said. And she'd thought it would be taller, too. It had always been described as such. The tree is two days' ride from here, and the wasteland stretches two days beyond that. Her eyes widened. Two days away? Then it must truly be enormous. She could not begin to fathom its height, yet she began to fathom why Strax had said she wouldn't want him to leave her side. He spoke the reasons succinctly. That is four days of no game to hunt, no water to drink, and no feed for the horses. Except for the supplies he carried with him, Mara realized. All that remained in her saddlebags were a few packets of dried herbs and a single gold coin that had been wedged into a loose seam. That coin could buy all the supplies Mara needed, if she returned to Wintermere. Yet no amount of gold could buy her what she needed more than anything else. Time. She would lose at least a full day in Wintermere, if not more. She couldn't afford to waste that time. You asked what I would do if I were you. But what if your family could only be saved by putting the gauntlet into his hands? I would do the same as you are, Mara, he said softly. She wished that answer eased the ache in her heart, but it only made her want to weep. Instead, you will prevent me from saving them. I will only prevent you from taking the gauntlet to Aramond, but I would help you save them another way. What way? She cried in frustration. Do you think we in Aramond have not tried to defeat Solegius? He destroys every army that marches against him. So how will we save my family? Her husband had no answer to that. And the only way that Mara could see, Strax would try to stop her. So she would stop him first.
Chapter 5 Strax the Hungry His wife was up to something. The quiet that fell over Mara as she traveled was not so unusual, though the looks she gave him now were different. No longer were they filled with so much anger or distrust. Strax might have rejoiced over that, except the sadness darkening her gaze when it lingered on him and the depth of the silence between them seemed like a yawning chasm that he could not cross. He stayed closer to her side than he had in six months of journeying, yet she seemed further from him than ever before, and Strax sensed that she was moving even further away with every step forward. Yet, when night fell, she didn't insist on sleeping apart, as Strax expected. Perhaps it was her sensible mind recognizing they only had furs enough for one bed. She also said nothing when, as he always did, Strax stripped to his skin before settling under the covers. Yet she didn't encourage him either, offering him neither touches nor kisses. Wearing her tunic, she meekly lay down beside him. When he rolled onto his side and pulled her back against his chest, she went compliantly, then pillowed her head on his biceps and slept. Strax did not. Instead, he wondered what she planned. Because Mara was never compliant or meek, so every moment he expected her to slip from his arms or bash his head with a rock. She had wanted Strax to take another road and to be away from him. He doubted that she'd given up on that wish. His Mara never gave up on anything. In the darkest hours, slumber finally pulled at him. But it seemed he'd only closed his eyes when dawn's golden light opened them again, and he found Mara had turned in his arms and was looking up at him with an expression of sheer determination. So now she would bash his head, Strax thought, and he would let her, then he would find her again. Instead, she whispered, Will you wake me as a husband should wake his wife? Raw lust ripped through senses. His morning erection hardened into burning steel in the space of the breath it took to roll Mara onto her back and cover her mouth with his. She stiffened for the barest moment, as if not expecting a kiss. He'd only said that a husband woke his wife with his mouth between her legs. Then she melted beneath him, her fingers diving into his hair, her tongue hungrily seeking his, her thighs parted to make room for him, her tunic riding up over her hips, and they both groaned when the thick ridge of his cock wedged against her feminine center. Scorching wetness burned the length of his shaft and slicked the insides of her thighs. So aroused was she, his wife was drowning in her need. Almost in pain, she seemed, writhing helplessly against him, seeking more pleasure and her release. Strax would give her both, then return to her mouth to give her more. Never had a journey been so beautiful, nor as sweet as the path from her lush lips to her curving hips. This time he flew over it, yet the next time he vowed that his mouth and hands would worship her body as she deserved. But first he would wake her as a husband should.
ravenous with hunger. Strax pushed her thighs wide and bowed his head, breathing in the heady scent of her arousal. And now he knew her plan. The faintest perfume of cherries mingled with her own luscious fragrance. Barely detectable, yet distinct, she had bathed her cunt in bellwood blossom. When the blossoms were steeped, they became a powerful sleeping potion. Yet if the stems were also steeped, a fatal poison was made. And it was impossible to know by scent which it was. What would she give him? Potion or poison? Strax didn't think it would be poison. She'd threatened to kill him if he stopped her from retrieving the gauntlet. And he'd told her over and over again that he intended to. But if his Mara meant to kill him, he didn't think it would be in this sly way. No, she would come directly at him with a blade. From between her thighs, he glanced up. Mara had risen under her elbows, her lips swollen and reddened by his kisses, her skin flushed with desire, her hair in a wild tangle as she watched him. Her request had been a trick so that she could drug him, Yet the passion he saw now wasn't false, nor was the honeyed arousal that glistened so near to his mouth. She was so clever, his wife, and so beautiful. Her breath hitched when he parted her with his thumbs. Will it be death, Mara? He asked her, his voice harsh with need. Or only sleep? Her body stilled. Her eyes widened, and he recognized the sudden fear there, as if she thought he might punish her for this attempt. He gripped her hip to prevent her from fleeing, pressing a soothing kiss to the soft skin above her curls. Do you not know that I would risk death for a taste of you? That I would happily die if it brought you pleasure? And he did with a long, slow lick that tasted of cherries and of Mara's own sweet honey. Her strangled gasp of surprise deepened into a moan when he licked away the remainder of the bellwood blossom from the lips of her cunt, then delved between her folds to find the flavor that was hers alone. He only wanted Mara upon his tongue as he made her come. But he would not have long to do it. Already a foreign heaviness was settling into his limbs. He knew not whether it was sleep or death that approached, and only cared that he pleased her before it took him. With a swirl of his tongue, he circled her clit before closing his lips around that sensitive bud. She cried out when he began to suck, her hands fisting in his hair, her back arching. The sound of his name from her panting lips was even sweeter than her cunt. Unable to resist, he abandoned her clitoris for a deep, thrusting lick into her virgin entrance. Yet she wordlessly begged for more, lifting her hips as if seeking what he hadn't yet given. Strax would give her all he could. His mouth returned to her clit, even as he filled her cunt with the blunt thickness of his longest finger, working it slowly into her snug channel. So tight and hot was his wife that every inch he gained was a victory. 
and his head swam with the ecstasy of her taste. Then abruptly, her voluptuous inner walls clamped down, squeezing his fingers so hard that seed spilled from his cock in response. Her soft flesh muffled his tortured groan. Slowly, he began to fuck her with the gentle pumping of his hand as he feasted on her clit. Sobbing gasps of pleasure began to rack her body. Her thighs shook, her virgin sheath clenching ever tighter around his thrusting finger. She screams Strax's name when she came, nearly yanking the hair from his scalp. But that was a blessing, because darkness was encroaching and the pain was a bright flare against it. After a final lick, Strax slowly moved upward, where she clasped his face and kissed him with wild heat and ravenous greed. His wife still needed, and he was not done. Chest heaving with effort, he rasped against her mouth. Shall I take you now, Mara, as a man takes his woman? Yes, she all but sobbed, wrapping her legs around his hips. Now. His rigid cock pressed against her entrance, and he thrust forward, but the weakness overtaking his muscles defeated his attempt. Her tightness didn't admit him, and his shaft rode over the wetness of her cunt to lay throbbing against her stomach. Strax could do no more, nothing except roll to the side so she wouldn't be crushed beneath his massive bulk. With the last of his strength, he told her, Ease your need upon me, my wife. Because whether sleep took him or death did, Strax had no doubt his cock would remain as steel for her use. He had but one last moment to look at Mara, to witness her burning flame, to feel her soft lips against his, her gentle hand upon his cheek, and see the tears filling her eyes. Then the darkness swept in. She had not killed him. Strax discovered that truth when he awoke, though his parched tongue and the hunger grasping at his stomach told him that at least two days had passed. His furs covered him from head to toe, and when he tossed them aside, he'd discovered that she'd taken his horse, his supplies, even his boots and leathers. All she had left behind were the furs, and that pleased him not at all. Even though Mara had taken his clothes and the horse's saddle blankets, each night she would have been cold. She ought to have left him exposed. Strax would have survived it, and preferred freezing to knowing she had been chilled. He sat up, and something tumbled from his chest to his bare lap. A gold coin. He only glanced at it a moment before examining his cock. The seed he'd spilled while feasting upon her cunt had dried on his shaft. If she'd used him, that seed wouldn't have remained. And there might have been virgin's blood instead. But there was none. So his wife was two days ahead of him, alone and unsatisfied. And shivering through the nights. A poor husband he'd proven to be a clever wife she'd proven to be. 
Strax could not stop his laugh as he palmed the gold coin and rose to his feet. No doubt she believed he'd be forced to return to Wintermere for another horse and supplies. His wife was clever, indeed. But she didn't know everything. She didn't know that everyone who'd grown up in the Deadlands scratched their living from wastelands even more barren than Lonewood. So he rolled up his furs, because tying them around his waist would only slow him down. Instead, he propped the bedroll onto his shoulder, and wearing only a grin, Strax began to run. Chapter 6 Mara the Fallen For four days, Mara rode through Lonewood's wasteland. Within her was an emptiness that seemed as cursed and as lonely as the crooked tree that reigned over the realm, because her heart no longer filled her chest. Instead, it had been torn apart, and one piece resided thousands of miles to the southwest, where her family was imprisoned in Solegius's dungeon. The bloody remainder of her heart was a few days' ride behind her, in the hands of a barbarian who should have been her enemy. If Strax knew what she planned now, Mara had no doubt he'd do everything in his power to stop her. His blood oath demanded that he not allow the gauntlet to fall into the hands of anyone unworthy of wielding its power. So Mara had only herself to rely upon. On either end of the skull cliffs, the northern oceans spilled over into the southern seas. Even Lonewood's cursed tree couldn't suck all the life from the mists of those waterfalls. A lush forest grew near the base of the skull cliffs, and seemed in the midst of summer instead of early spring. Riots of blooming wildflowers perfumed the warm air, their colors more brilliant than Mara had ever seen. And she only had to reach out to pluck ripened fruits from branches as she rode. But although beauty met her gaze at every turn, horror awaited her. Nearly a dozen warriors lay dead at the bottom of the cliffs. She recognized some from the Colosseum when the tournament had begun, but others were impossible to identify, because the fall from the cliffs had shattered their bones and pulped their flesh. Mara couldn't afford to delay her quest, but neither could she leave the warriors to rot. So a full day she spent cutting wood for a large funeral pyre before darkness forced her to stop. In the morning, she would finish, then begin her climb up the cliffs. In bed, she lay, trying not to picture those mangled bodies, trying not to picture herself falling too. Yet picture it was all she did, and she lay shivering beneath her covers, her body bathed in the cold sweat of terror. Mara knew not when her shivers eased. It was full dark, and she was in a fitful sleep when warmth blanketed her restless form. She roused only a little as firm lips pressed to hers, as Strax's gruff voice rumbled in her ear. No arms held her tight, but she slept without fear, knowing that he was near. She woke at dawn beneath heavy furs, and to the sight of her husband wearing a saddle blanket tied around his waist and dragging the last of the corpses atop the pyre. Happy tears filled her eyes, and she blinked them away before Strax could see. She shouldn't be glad he was here. Yet she was. And his dark gaze held no anger for her, though she'd drugged him with her cunt and stolen all his possessions. Instead, 
The corners of his mouth tilted upward as he pulled Mara to her feet, but that smile didn't crack the grim stone of his expression. He gestured a short distance away, where his gelding and her mare had joined a larger herd that grazed the lush meadow. More than 30 horses. Because more than 30 warriors had attempted the cliffs and left their mounts at its base. Yet apparently few warriors, if any, had returned from the keep and ridden away. There is no ladder either, said Mara. The ancient rope that should have hung down the face of the cliff was braided from the god's hair and was legendary for being as light as a feather and as strong as steel. The first warrior to reach the top likely pulled the ladder up with him so the others were forced to climb. His strong jaw hardened as he looked to the bodies lined up atop the funeral pyre, and Mara did not need to ask what angered him. Any warrior who would draw up the ladder must have not only intended to slow the other contestants, but also to eliminate them. But the missing ladder told her something more. Because if a warrior retrieved the gauntlet from Kaidi's keep, he would return to the cliff and toss the ladder back down. That no ladder hung down the cliff face meant not a single warrior had succeeded. Most likely, they were all dead. And Mara was next. A shiver of dread racked her body, pulling Strax's warm gaze to her face. Softly, he tipped her chin up and kissed her, but only a gentle, sweet kiss that lasted no longer than a breath. Because a dozen warriors lay lifelessly not far away, and this was neither time nor place for more. Perhaps it would never be. Even if she survived the cliffs, after Strax discovered her intentions, he might never kiss her again. The pain of that filled her heart. I cannot linger here. It is three days' climb to the top, she said, and braced herself for what would come next. Strax nodded. You light the pyre. I'll prepare our supplies. That was all he said, but Mara knew more would follow. Her heart aching, she waited for the rest. Eyebrows pulling together in a frown, he brushed his thumb over her trembling lips. What troubles you, wife? You do, husband, she replied in a thick voice. Because I would rather hear your doubts now than listen to them while I'm dangling from the cliff. His frown darkened. My doubts? When you tell me I ought to give up, when you claim I will fall, or that I am not strong enough or clever enough to reach the top. Mara meant to spit each word at him, but to her horror, burning tears filled her eyes as she spoke. Desperately, she turned her face away, but his strong hands cradled her cheeks and made her look up at him. Mara. Her name was a hoarse rasp, his eyes tormented as he searched her expression. I know you are strong enough and clever enough. I have no doubt you can succeed. I cannot believe you. The tears spilled over her lashes. You have told me so many times that I cannot win. From the first day we met, you doubted me and told me so, and you never stopped telling me. His eyes closed as if in agony. A harsh groan ripped from his chest, and suddenly he pulled her close, his arms wrapping her tight. Mara wished she were strong enough to tear away from that embrace, but she could only bury her face against his shoulder 
and helplessly weep. No, Mara. Soothing fingers stroked down her back. The first day, I doubted. And do you remember what you said to me? She did, clearly. Shuddering sobs racked her reply. To leave me alone, and to go piss in your own eye. That too. A laugh shook through him. Then his voice deepened, and his fingers threaded through her hair, tipping her tear-stained face back to meet his earnest gaze. You told me that every doubt I uttered would only make you fight harder, and that every time I claimed you would lose, you would become more determined to win. She had said those things. Lips parted, she stared up at him, suddenly afraid to hope what his words might mean, afraid she might be wrong. Strax must have read the uncertainty and fear upon her face. Only a fool would doubt you, Mara. It is true that I did the first day, but every day since you've proved me wrong. I have watched you overcome every obstacle in your path these past six months. But even before the first week had passed, your strength and cleverness and determination won my heart. His thumbs stroked away the new tears that fell upon her cheeks, and his voice roughened. Yet now I understand why speaking of my love hurt you. I was a fool, to see all that you are and yet not know that every time I meant to encourage you, instead, I wounded you. Encourage her? Mara couldn't stop the short, painful laugh that broke from her. Nor could she stop the hope that continued to grow within the lonely, empty wasteland where her heart had been. Then you believe in me? She whispered hesitantly. You believe I might win? I do. His gaze was unwavering. In truth, when this contest began, I didn't believe anyone could defeat the guardians at Kaidi's keep and take the gauntlet. But I now believe that. Of all the warriors who entered the tournament, you are the only one who could win, because you do not seek riches or glory. Instead, love has brought you here, Mara. Love for her family, it had brought her here. But she still couldn't believe that made any difference. That is not magic. It is, Mara, Strax said. Magic is nothing but an invisible force that reshapes the world. Sorcerers use their spells, but love and hate reshape the world too. You must have seen that is true. She had, and yet it was not the same. But a spell can make the impossible true. Since love is also magic, why can't it make the impossible true too? He asked in a maddeningly reasonable tone. Whether you believe or not, Mara, it is truth that a sorcerer's corrupted magic has no power within Kaidi's keep. But you wield the purest and most powerful kind of magic. And all of the warriors who have attempted to take the gauntlet, Kaidi's is most likely to favor one such as you. The skulls behind us are her warning to anyone who would abuse their power. And you, have come to save everyone you love from a tyrant. Emotion constricted Mara's throat, even as hope bloomed full and bright inside her chest. Strax genuinely sounded as if he believed in her. Yet after so many months, 
It was difficult to trust that he meant every word, no matter how she wanted to. And she desperately wanted to. Because if Strax did, then he might genuinely love her too. Strax must have seen the war between hope and doubt that waged within her, because he demanded no answer. He only kissed her softly again before stepping back. Light the pyre, Mara. She did, releasing the warriors to the sky before returning to the base of the cliffs, where Strax rolled several days' worth of food into his furs. Mara bent to unlace the boots she'd stolen from him, then stripped his leathers down to her legs. His dark eyes burned with hunger when she glanced up again, though he made no move to touch her. The mornings are still cold, Mara, so keep wearing them, he said, but she shook her head. My bare feet are better for climbing. The boots were too thick and heavy. Already she could see how many small cracks and ledges her fingers and toes would have to find. And no matter how tightly I tie them, your leggings tend to fall down and tangle around my knees. I cannot risk them doing so now. His eyes darkened. I will be directly below you. If you slip, I will catch you. That declaration warmed her through, but he might soon regret such a promise. It is three days' climb, she reminded him, and I have no cock to point into the wind. His shout of laughter echoed off the cliffs. I would catch you even after you piss on me, wife. But if you give me warning, I will move to the side. I will, Mara said with a grin, then nearly choked on a wave of emotion when she realized this would be the first obstacle she and Strax would face together. Except for the storm upon the sea, where he'd kept her from washing overboard, and the freezing nights in the mountains, where they'd kept each other warm. Those obstacles weren't part of the tournament, yet they had faced those together too, and survived. Now she helped him strap the bundle of furs and supplies to his back. After it was done, she tilted her head up and up and up, searching for the top of the cliffs, yet from the bottom they seemed to pierce the sky itself. Her stomach coiled into sick knots and clammy terror tightened her skin. Strax caught her face and brought her gaze back down to his. Shall I encourage you, Mara? Prod her along by telling her that she could not do this? Throat aching, she shook her head. Not in that way, he told her softly. Never will I hurt you again with such careless words. Instead, I will tell you that in these past days, I have thought of nothing but the sweetness of your cunt and of how you begged for my cock. Fire raced through her veins, burning away the clammy fear, because she had thought of his touch too. Every night, trying to warm herself with the memory of his mouth and finding release with her fingers, yet still feeling so cold and alone. His thumb swept across her lower lip, his eyes like smoldering embers. When we reach the top, Mara, I will finally take you as a husband takes his wife. That was fine encouragement indeed. Heart pounding, she rose onto her toes for a kiss. The first she had sought from him, but she vowed it would not be the last. He encouraged her again that night, when they found a narrow ledge to share. As Strax spread a healing poultice over her bleeding fingers and toes, he told her in how many places he would kiss her, 
and how many ways he would have her, and how many times he would make her come. By the second night, even Strax's toughened hands needed tending. Winds buffeted the upper rim of the eye socket where they stopped and huddled together, wrapped in his furs. There Strax encouraged her again, describing their return to Aramond together, with her belly already heavy with his child, telling her that they would discover a way to defeat Solegius and free her family, and together they would forge a life free of that king's tyranny. Through it all, Mara held Strax close and dreamed with him, but fearing that she would lose her husband before she ever truly had him, could not admit that she had already discovered a way to defeat Solegius. On the third day, storm clouds thundered overhead and rain lashed the face of the cliff. Each crack and ledge became treacherously slick. Soaked to her skin and trembling with exhaustion, Mara slowly crawled upward, terrified that if she looked down, Strax would no longer be there. He was each time, but she couldn't stop glancing down to be certain though the endless distance to the bottom made her dizzy. So often did Mara glance down that she almost never looked up, except to find the next handhold. When her fingers dug into wet dirt instead of ancient bone, she almost didn't understand what it meant. Then realization struck her all at once. They'd nearly reached the top. Almost crying with relief, she carefully made her way upward to the cliff's edge, here, the climb was more treacherous than the rest, the soil from above muddy and crumbling. The sun had set, and the oncoming night made each handhold harder to see. Flashes of lightning threw confusing shadows, creating illusions of cracks and ledges where there were none. Forever it took Mara to climb the remaining distance, but at last she pulled herself up over the edge and onto her stomach. Immediately, she looked for the rope ladder and found it heaped into a giant pile a short distance away. Still on her belly, Mara turned to glance over the edge. Strax was only a few feet below. She laughed down at him. You are last again. He grinned and gripped a small bone ledge. I am exactly where I wish to be. Three days I have spent looking up at your sweet cunt, awaiting the moment I sheath my cock deep anticipation quivered over her skin. Then wait there a moment longer and I'll bring the ladder to you, she told him, her heart jumping when a thick river of mud spilled from the loosening soil below her head. These last handholds are treacherous. With a scream, Mara lurched for Strack's hand as the small ledge he held disintegrated before her eyes. Her fingers locked around his wrist and she desperately pulled him back against the face of the cliff. His biceps bulged as he found a tiny ledge to grip with the fingers of his left hand. Mud slicked the rocks near his feet, and she watched him attempt to find purchase, but every foothold crumbled the instant he put weight on it. Reach for the root, Mara cried out. A tree root coiled like a rope through the soil above his left hand, thick enough to hold him, and she didn't think the narrow ledge he gripped would support him much longer. Both of her hands were wrapped around his wrist, but she was only steadying him. He bore his entire weight on three fingers, his massive body dangling thousands of feet above the ground. Suddenly, he went still, and when his gaze met hers, she choked out a denial of what she saw there before he spoke a word. Let go, wife. 
she would die first. Grab the root, she begged him. His gaze was calm, his voice resolute. If I do, you'll bear all of my weight and I'll pull you over the edge. Let go. Grab the root, she snapped. That ledge won't hold you much longer. And when it breaks, you'll fall with me. So let go. I'm strong enough to hold you. I know, Mara. His eyes seemed to be memorizing her face. Emotion thickened his voice. You are so very strong, but I am heavy. Because your head is stuffed with rocks. A panicked, sobbing breath escaped her when he adjusted his grip. Because the ledge was cracking beneath his fingers. You said love was the most powerful magic. Do you truly believe that? I do. His gaze locked on hers, and agony ripped through her heart. Because she knew he didn't intend to look away again, so her face would be the last thing he saw. But loving you cannot stop a rock from breaking. It can only give me the strength to save you. By sacrificing himself? She would never let him. Then you must believe love can give me the strength to save you. Desperately, she gripped his wrist tighter. Believe that I can do this, Strax, please. Because if loving you means that I wield strong magics, then I must be the most powerful sorcerer in the world. She must be, because only minutes before, her arms had been shaking with fatigue and she'd barely had the strength to climb. Yet when heart-stopping emotion suddenly blazed in Strax's eyes and he let go of the crumbling ledge, his muscular bulk weighed nothing at all. For an endless moment, she held him suspended. Then his fingers gripped the root. With a mighty heave, Strax launched his upper body over the edge. In the next instant, she was in his arms. Strax surged to his feet, carrying her up with him and striding away from the cliff. Mara's body shook uncontrollably as she clung to his broad shoulders. With her legs wrapped tightly around his waist, she frantically kissed his cheeks and jaw and forehead and nose, sobbing and laughing at once. So close she had come to losing him, so very close. Remembered terror clawed at her heart. With sudden ferocity, Mara twisted her fingers in Strack's thick hair. Her warrior came to an abrupt halt, and she shoved her face close to his so he couldn't mistake her next words. I will never let you go, she vowed through clenched teeth. Never. Savage pleasure burned in his dark eyes. His big hands squeezed her bare ass, grinding her against the steely length bulging beneath his leathers. Then you'd best hold on tight, wife, because I do not intend to stop until you have no strength left at all. I would like to see you try, warrior, Mara said in both truth and challenge, eager for her husband to fuck her until she was quivering and boneless, but also knowing he could never take all her strength because it had never resided in her limbs. Instead, her strength lay in her heart, which was full to bursting with joy and love, and which raced at a head-spinning pace as his mouth claimed hers. Scorching need heightened with every possessive stroke of his tongue past her lips, and it seemed that the three days of peril against the cliff had only been preparation for this moment, clinging to Strax as if her very life depended upon it, while his kiss pushed her higher and higher. With a groan, Strax tore his mouth from hers. You shiver with cold. 
His gaze searched through the sheets of falling rain as he pivoted, frustration hardening his features. You need shelter from this storm. A white flash of lightning illuminated their surroundings. Only bare earth stretched as far as could be seen, except for a few trees behind them, nearer to the cliff. Though their branches might provide protection from the rain, she knew he would not take her there, not so close to the edge. But it was not the rain that made her shiver anyway. Instead, it had been the terror of nearly losing him. Now, she only trembled with desire. Mara caught his face and brought his gaze back to hers. Your body covering mine is all the shelter I need. Raw lust ignited the look Strax gave Mara then, and he set her on her feet. I will cover you, he said in a voice harsh with need, but I will not fuck you in the mud. Mara wouldn't care if he did, but she stepped aside as he tore loose the straps fastening the bedroll to his back. The contents of the bundle scattered when he roughly shook out the furs, readying their bed while Mara readied herself. Gripping the hem of her tunic, she pulled it over her head. Rain pelted her bare skin, yet the chill couldn't touch her when Strax glanced over and his heated gaze fell upon her nakedness. He went utterly still, except for his eyes that slowly looked their fill. Boldly, she stood before him with hot lust coursing through her blood and rain streaming from her hair. Even while following her across the Ferren Desert, Strax hadn't appeared as thirsty to her as he did now, as water sluiced over her shoulders and down the slopes of her breasts to drip from their hardened pink tips. Never have I seen beauty such as yours, Mara. His voice was hoarse as if simply looking upon her an agonizing pleasure. Just as the sight of Strax was such an acute pleasure to Mara, the storm raging overhead could never match the elemental power that her husband possessed. Like a mountain he was, so tall and strong, his fists like boulders. Lightning split the sky, revealing in stark contrast the steely ropes of muscles in his arms, the plains and ridges of his torso yet that electric flash was a dim candle next to the fire of his eyes when he stared at her. Hunger replaced the thirst in his gaze when her fingers drifted down her belly, sifting through her rain-wet curls to find the part of her that was truly drenched. I am ready for you, husband, she told him huskily. If you are not, soon you will be. Tearing open the laces tying his leathers, he strode toward her, through the dizzying anticipation of his approach, she glimpsed the ferocious rise of his cock, as massive and as primal as the barbarian who wielded it. A fearsome size Strax was, yet Mara could never fear any part of this man she loved. Not his strength when he dragged her hand away from her cunt. Not his ravenous growl as he licked her arousal from her fingers. Not the possessive fire in his eyes when his own fingers delved between her thighs. A groan tore from his chest. A treasure of a wife you are, Mara. Not just hot and wet, but eager. So eager. And Strax was already stealing her strength as he'd promised. For when he speared two thick fingers inside her, Mara trembled. When his thumb circled her clit, her knees buckled. Yet he caught her before she fell, as she knew he always would. With his left arm wrapped around her waist, 
Strax carried her to the firs, and with every step, the fingers of his right hand stroked her hotter. Her cunt was a blazing furnace of heat and need as he laid her back and then followed her down, pushing her thighs wide. Braced above her on one arm, Strax fisted his engorged length and lowered his hips between her parted thighs. A greedy moan erupted from her throat as he slicked the thick tip of his shaft through her folds, wetting himself with her arousal before fitting that broad head to her entrance. Her fingernails digging into his biceps, Mara whimpered with anticipation. There, her husband abruptly stilled, as if the sound she'd made was of pain. He made a soothing noise, but to Mara, Strax was the one who required soothing. His big body shook as he hovered over her, his every muscle corded from the effort of his restraint, his gaze frenzied with need even as he gently touched her face. Through gritted teeth, he said, this will only hurt but once, wife. She cared not if it hurt a thousand times. Mara would always lift her body toward his as she did now, preparing to sheath his turgid length. Yet he still hesitated, his broad crown demanding entry but not accepting her invitation. With a short laugh, she arched toward him again. You have overcome so many obstacles on this journey, husband. Dangerous seas and freezing mountains and treacherous cliffs. Will you let a maidenhead defeat you now? His jaw tightened, his face a harsh mask of hunger. She gasped as his hips flexed and he pressed forward, yet too gently. Immediately he eased back, a groan racking his rigid form. Your cunt is tighter than a fist. So it was. And if you do not push harder than that, your fist is all you will ever fuck. A laugh shook his big body against hers. Do not tease me, wife. I cannot bear to hurt you, and I have little control left. Then you have too much. Raising her head, she gently bit his bottom lip before sliding her tongue across his teeth. Her fingers raked down his straining back, her thighs squeezing his hips. A little pain I can bear. What I cannot bear is how you hold yourself back from me now, not after I almost lost you. As if remembering, a shudder tore through his massive body, his fierce gaze locked on hers. Say it again. No question what he meant. I love you, Strax, she told him softly. So take me as a warrior takes a woman as strong as I am. The sky flashed white, separating his features into stark shadows and laying bare his tormented need as, with one savage thrust, he buried his cock deep. Mara's scream was lost in the crack of thunder. Taking Strax was no easier than any of this journey had been. But this time, she didn't have to bear her pain alone and in misery. Instead, it was accompanied by sheer joy, and by pleasure, the greatest she'd ever known, because Strax was in her arms. And so the pain of his possession was nothing at all. Mara? His rigid frame shuddered with the strain of remaining motionless as her inner muscles struggled to adjust to his thick girth. I am here, she reassured him, panting, then kissed him fiercely as he withdrew and shoved deep again, spearing her with pleasure. Crying out, she arched her hips, loving the burning stretch each time her body yielded to his. More. As if her ragged plea stole the last of his control, 
He claimed her mouth in a devastating kiss and relentlessly stroked his swollen length into her welcoming heat. Lightning flashed again, but this time it came from within her, a storm of ecstasy that was twisting higher and higher. Strax seized her ass in his brutish grip when she began to rise. Ruthlessly, he held her in place for every powerful thrust, and the pace he set was like the pounding of a war drum. Had he still been her enemy, this brutal rhythm might have demanded her surrender, her submission. But an answering beat thrummed through Mara's veins, hot and thick, because no war remained between them, and this night he had almost lost her, but a warrior will never be separated from his wife. So the untamed ferocity of their mating was not a fight, but a declaration that nothing could rend them asunder. The pounding of his cock, her hands clawing his shoulders, the ravenous hunger of their kiss were a battle cry announcing that they were one, and a warning to anything that might try to stand against them. Lightning sizzled through her again as Strax wedged his hand between their bodies, his teeth gritted and his eyes feral. Mara cried out as his rough fingers stroked her clit, arching beneath him in electric pleasure. When his hips jolted forward and buried his cock to the hilt, the orgasm rolled through her like thunder, drenching his length in a carnal rush. Head thrown back, Strax groaned and thrust into her clenching sheath once, twice before roaring his climax into the storm above, his shaft pulsating within her. So hot, so deep. Almost endlessly, it seemed, Strax filled her with his seed. Each scorching pulse renewed the shudders of ecstasy tearing through Mara's senses until she lay boneless and quivering in his arms. He kissed her then, hot and slow, his strong hands cupping her face. And when her warrior lifted his head, his gaze locked on hers. She knew the truth of his every word, even before he said, I love you, Mara. Every time before, that declaration had hurt. This time, Mara only knew joy, because she believed. So she kissed him, and held him close, and knew for certain that not only did he love her, but that love would make the impossible true. And that it was magic, too. Chapter 7 Strax the Believer While the storm raged above, three times did Strax take his wife. Her pleasured cries still rang in his ears, and her sweet cunt still clutched his cock when the rain abruptly stopped, and he no longer needed to serve as her shelter, but her bed. He rolled onto his back and loved the feel of her slight weight atop his chest her head pillowed on his shoulder. His cock stirred within her sultry heat, but he wouldn't fuck her again, not until morning. His morrow was strong, but for three days she had exhausted herself against the face of the cliff, and the most dangerous task was yet to come. He expected her to sleep now, Yet the absent play of her fingers in his hair told him that her mind was too occupied for slumber. So, with a soft grunt, he told her, Speak to me, Mara. One day, she might without prompting. But for so long on this journey, she'd been alone. It was his own fault that she was unaccustomed to relying on anyone but herself. 
Now she lifted her head to look down at him. Beneath the nighttime sky, her beautiful face was but a play of shadows and darkness. Yet he could still see the soft gleam of her teeth as she bit her bottom lip, as if in hesitation, before saying, I won't give the gauntlet to Seligius. Relief slipped through his heart, because Strax knew not what he'd have done if she'd insisted upon giving that weapon to the tyrant. Yet his heart ached, too, because he knew what the cost of her decision might be. Still, he tried to reassure her. We will free your family, he vowed to her. We will discover a way. I have, she said softly, her fingers tracing his jaw. I intend to wear the gauntlet and destroy him. Tension locked his muscles. You intend to wear it? Biting her lip again, she nodded. I decided to after you told me of your clan's blood oath to prevent anyone who would misuse the gauntlet's power from wielding it. I thought, you did not believe in me, so you would never trust me with that power. I drugged you so that you wouldn't be forced to stop me. The sweetest poisoning he'd ever known. So that you could race ahead to Kaides's keep? Yes she whispered now. I must free my family, and you must prevent anyone unworthy from wielding the gauntlet. I thought it would be impossible for us both to have what we needed. But you love me, and believe in me, so perhaps the impossible can be true. If I were to win the gauntlet, I could take it back to Aramond and destroy Seligius and his warlords, and you could remain with me and make certain that I never misuse its power. That was truth, and it wasn't the thought of Mara wielding the gauntlet that made Strax pause, but what might happen if it ever fell into another's hands? A powerful queen was the first woman Kaides had given the gauntlet to, and she'd used it fairly and wisely. Then the queen had given it to her twin sons, who'd broken the world. So that must be Strax's duty now, to see that the gauntlet never left Mara's possession. He had been quiet too long. A hint of doubt shadowed her gaze, and she averted her face. Perhaps it will not matter, she said in a raw voice. I might die trying to retrieve the gauntlet from Kaides's keep. Strax caught her chin made her look at him again as he vowed, Then I will die helping you, wife. Chapter 8 Mara the Champion In the morning, Mara was awakened by Strax in the manner a husband should wake his wife. Then he sheathed his cock deep while she was still shuddering from the pleasure of his tongue. Her lips were swollen and hot from his kisses, her nipples sensitive to the barest touch, and the muscles of her inner thighs ached in the same way they had during the first week of the tournament, when she'd had to become accustomed to riding all day. For the first time since the tournament had begun, 
Mara allowed herself to linger in bed. But her duty could not be denied, nor the danger that lay ahead. Mara's heart filled with both anticipation and dread when they began to walk toward Kaidi's keep. Strax had vowed to help her retrieve the gauntlet, and she quelled the impulse to drug him again so that he could not risk himself, knowing that nothing she said or did would stop her husband from entering the keep at her side. The sun was high overhead when the structure appeared in the distance, yet it was nothing as she had expected. Time had worn away the tower's thick walls, leaving only a ring of stone rubble and a mountainous pile of skulls in front of the entrance. Fear trembled through Mara at the sight, yet her steps didn't waver as she and Strax continued their approach. He had told her that, through the ages, thousands of warriors had tried and failed to retrieve the gauntlet from the keep. And like the giant skulls at the cliffs served as a warning to anyone who would misuse his power, this mound of skulls also had to be climbed to reach the keep. Mara thought they served as yet another warning. With trepidation shaking through her veins, she asked Strax, have you been here before? Expression grim, he shook his head and took her hand. I'll try for the gauntlet first. No, she said softly, squeezing his fingers. We'll try together, and we will succeed. Strax nodded, but his face was a mask of indecision and torment as they reached the pile of skulls. At the bottom lay a fine dust of ancient crumbling bone, the skulls bleached white. Nearer the top were skulls with dried flesh and hair still clinging, and the bloody heads of warriors who'd entered the tournament. Yet one contestant still lived. Mara's mouth dropped open as she reached the top of the skulls and looked down at the bottom of the pile, where a warrior paced outside the ring of stone rubble that marked the ancient walls of the keep. Within the circular keep was only bare earth, perhaps 30 paces across, and at its center was an obsidian altar upon which the gauntlet lay. Standing near the ruins on either side of the ring were the guardians Strax had mentioned. The two stone statues watched over the gauntlet, as punishment or penance, Mara couldn't guess. Unlike the keep walls, the marble warriors showed no signs of decay. Twice the height of any man, the guardians each wore sculpted armor and a helmet carved to resemble a wolf's head. The wolf brothers of legend, Mara realized, the twins who'd broken the world while fighting over the gauntlet. Strax had said they were kings, not wolves, yet now she saw why legend knew them as both. Mara took a step, and a skull tumbled down the pile, alerting the warrior below. He whirled around, surprise filled his expression, and he drew his sword as if warding her off. Stop there, she did, but only waiting for Strax to catch up. Faintly, she recognized the warrior. Farinet, she thought his name was. Below, the warrior shook his head in disbelief. You made it so far. I believed you dead, and I thought I was the last. No, Mara replied with a laugh. Strax is always last. Her husband appeared over the top of the mountain of skulls as she said so. Farinet's gaze flicked to the barbarian, and the surprise of the warrior's face became dismay. Likely because the sword he pointed at her seemed not so threatening now, not with a man like Strax at her side. 
Mara carefully began to make her way down the shifting pile of skulls. You have not attempted to reach the gauntlet? No, I was hoping to discover a way. I have seen the others. I have seen- Farinet trailed off as a haunted expression emptied his face. Then his jaw hardened with determination and he glanced toward the altar. You won't steal the prize from me. The tournament prize? Trust me, warrior, it is not gold that I seek. Mara broke off, her breath catching when Farinet suddenly leapt over the ruined wall and into the keep's inner circle. Heart thundering, she looked at the marble guardians. Neither statue moved. Farinet seemed more concerned by whether Mara and Strax pursued him than he was worried about the statues. He raced toward the altar, throwing glances over his shoulder to where they were descending the mountain of skulls. Strax caught Mara's hand, steadying her through the final layer of ancient bone that crushed to dust beneath her feet. His gaze, too, was on the stone guardians. He saw what happened to the others, yet doesn't fear the statues. Apparently not. Yet even as Mara opened her mouth to respond, Farinet reached the altar and his behavior changed. Where he'd been rushing, now he hesitated, looking to each of the guardians before glancing wildly back at Strax and Mara. The guardians must delay their attack until after the gauntlet is taken, she realized. And whatever form that attack took, Farinet was visibly preparing himself to grab the gauntlet and run. And he was also visibly terrified, tearing his fingers through his dark hair, then reaching for the gauntlet before snatching his hands back. Her own hands clammy with dread, Mara called out, Tell us how, warrior, and we will help you. Farinet made no response, except to square his shoulders, as if the sound of Mara's voice only hurried him to claim the prize before they could. He swept the gauntlet up against his chest and turned to run. Mara, Strax's deep voice was urgent with warning. The statues at either side of the bare circle of earth began to move. Yet slowly, so slowly. Surely too slowly to reach Farinet before he cleared the keep's wall. Mara's gaze flicked back to the warrior and horror gripped her throat. Farinet should have been halfway across the clearing by now, but he'd only made it a single pace away from the altar. Now he seemed to be crawling across the dirt. The gauntlet clutched to his chest, desperation reddening his face. But he wasn't crawling. Instead, he struggled against the multitude of hands and arms that had erupted out of the ground and were pulling him down into the parting earth, as if dragging him into a grave. Some hands were nothing but skeletal bones, some rotting, some newly dead as if the skulls of everyone who'd tried to claim the gauntlet were piled in a mountain, and the remainder of their bodies now guarded the weapon they'd tried to take. Frantically, she looked to Strax. The barbarian stood atop the ring of rubble. Before she could scream at him to stop, he leapt down into the keep circle. Nothing erupted from the ground to grab him. Casting her a triumphant glance, Strax drew his sword and raced toward Farinet, Mara scrambled after him. The stone guardians steadily approached, each footstep a heavy thud that amplified the pounding within her chest. Ahead, Strax struck his blade through the macabre forest of arms pulling at Farinet's legs. As if he'd cut through shadows, Strax's sword harmlessly passed through the grasping arms. 
Futilely, he tried again, then fell to his knees and attempted to grip one of the rotting hands wrapped around Farinet's calf. Strack's fingers passed through the gory flesh as if it were nothing more than an illusion, an illusion that Farinet couldn't break away from. They'd dragged him waist deep into the earth. The warrior grunted with the strain of trying to break their grip, clawing at the dirt in front of him. As one, Mara and Strax took hold of Farinet, Strax wrapping an arm around his chest and Mara grabbing his wrist and tried to haul him away from the grasping hands. The moment they touched him, more arms erupted out of the ground to capture their ankles in bony shackles. The soil sank beneath Mara's feet. With a scream, she desperately hauled on Farinet's wrist again, then Strax's big body tackled hers. They rolled away from the warrior, whose own hoarse scream of despair rang in her ears. If we are touching the gauntlet, Strax said on heaving breaths, or touching someone who is, the keep will stop us. Frantically, Mara looked to the stone guardians. The wolf brothers were but a few paces away, their marble swords drawn. We have to help Farinet, Strax nodded his face a hard mask of determination as he stood and faced one of the statues. Like a bull, he charged the massive legs, not attempting to strike the stone guardian with a blade, but simply to slow it down or push it over. Yet Mara was not surprised when even a man of Strax might seemed no more to the guardian than a buzzing fly. It did not even swat him away, but simply continued toward Farinet, as if the massive barbarian was not grunting and shoving against his marble waist. Strax's thick muscles bulging with effort. Yet muscle was not the only strength a person could have, Mara knew, and her husband believed that only pure magics had any effect within the keep. She couldn't claim to love Farinet, yet love wasn't the only strong magic she could wield. Kindness was too. Crouching before the struggling warrior, she urged him, let go of the gauntlet, you'll be free and we'll try again together. Another hoarse scream emerged from between Farinet's gritted teeth as the hands dragged him farther down, so only his shoulders remained above the ground, the gauntlet wedged protectively under his neck. Still, he shook his head. I can't let it go. You'll take it and leave me to die. No, she swore. I vow that we will not. Booted feet digging furrows out of the earth as he was pushed inexorably forward by the stone guardian, Strax barked a harsh warning. Mara, step back from him. Because the statues were almost upon them, Mara didn't move, but steadily held Farinet's frantic gaze. Trust that I will not betray you. I have no need for the gold. Instead, my family is imprisoned in Solegius's dungeon, and I intend to free them. I don't know why you entered the tournament, for riches or glory, or perhaps Solegius has threatened someone you love too. But whatever it is you seek, we will make certain that you get it. But you must let us help you first. I swear, we will not betray your trust. Everything seemed to still. So focused she was on Farinet, Mara didn't realize the hands no longer dragged him down until she heard Strax's disbelieving, they've halted. Their deadly fingers simply held Farinet now, and on either side of him, the statues had frozen in place. Had kindness done that, truly? On a shaky laugh, Mara held out her hand for Farinet to take, so she could pull him to his feet. See, we'll help you. No, the warrior shook his head. You'll steal. 
Fernit's scream cut off the rest. Mara shouted a denial as the hands dragged him deeper. Strax's steely arm snagged around her waist and pulled her back, kicking and fighting, but knowing there was no help for the warrior now. Neck deep, only his head and his arms were above the ground, his hands still holding onto the gauntlet, until a stone guardian plucked the gauntlet out of his grip. The other sliced his sword through Farinet's neck, sending his head flying. The warrior's body disappeared into his grave. Her breath coming in ragged gasps, Mara stared at the spot where Farinet had been, and didn't look back at the Skull Mountain to search for his head. Strack's powerful arms held her tight. His fingers shook as he turned her around, cupped her face in his big hands, searching her eyes as if to reassure himself that she was still there, still alive. Movement drew their gazes to the stone guardian carrying the gauntlet. He placed it atop the altar. Then he and his brother began their slow trek back to the edge of the keep's circle. On a shaky breath, Mara whispered, they stopped for a moment. Yes, Strack's answer was gruff, for a moment. We should try now, since we are already in the keep. And while she still had the courage, tension whitened Strack's mouth. Let me do it alone, Mara. If love is magic enough to stop them, then I have enough love for you to see me through this. I believe that, but I won't let you do it alone, she said firmly. We'll try together. Jaw tight, Strax pressed his forehead to hers. Torment roughened his voice. Then I will carry you. When you take the gauntlet from the altar, the hands will drag me down. But I'll be strong enough to break free of them, Mara, and carry you to the edge of the keep just as you were strong enough to hold me at the cliff. Mara hated that plan, but she knew her stubborn husband would accept no other. If you cannot break free, I'll toss the gauntlet away and we'll try again another day. Strax nodded, then kissed her fiercely, so fiercely, before sweeping her up into his arms. Cradling her against his chest, he strode toward the altar. When he'd told her the gauntlet was forged from the hearts of gods, Mara had imagined a finely wrought piece of armor made of precious metals and stones. But the weapon on the obsidian block instead resembled a large leather glove, better suited to a blacksmith than a warrior. Yet it held enough power to break the world, or to stop a tyrant sorcerer. Mara couldn't take her eyes from the gauntlet as Strax halted in front of the altar. Her pulse raced at a sickly fast pace, and her husband cradled her so closely that she could feel the hammering of his heart through his thickly muscled chest. Should I try to wear it right away? It matters not if you do. His response was hoarse, as if forced through an obstruction in his throat. Its power cannot be used within the keep. Only pure magic could be wielded, magic such as love and kindness. Mara prayed theirs would be enough, with Strax's arms holding her tight, she reached out and claimed the gauntlet. Instantly, the world shifted, or the earth beneath her husband's feet did. Mara cried out as Strax began to stride forward, his teeth clenched with effort. One step, two, each one a mighty battle against the iron grip of the ghostly hands trying to drag him down. Three, already he'd made more progress than Farinet had, Yet each step was such a struggle that his pace was no faster than the stone guardians in their direction. 
all of them locked in a slow race. Her terrified gaze on the statues, Mara frantically chanted, I love you, I love you, trying to give Strax any strength he needed, then shouted at the guardians, I only want to free my family. I only want to free all of Aramond from Solegius's rule to help them. Just as she'd tried to help Farinet. Yet this time, the statues did not halt, and the horrifying pull of the hands below never ceased. And Strax was slowing. Teeth gritted, sweat streaming over his skin. He continued striding forward. But he was not carrying her so high above the ground now, Mara realized with horror. The hands had not stopped his forward movement, but they'd been dragging him deeper, deeper, and the soil was up to his knees, forcing him not only to fight their grip, but also to plow through the earth ahead. Now the stone guardians were closer to Strax and Mara than Strax and Mara were to the edge of the keep, and this was a race they could not win. I'll let the gauntlet go, Mara whispered brokenly, and Strax nodded, his chest heaving, still straining too much to speak. Tomorrow we'll try again, however long it took. Throat tight, she hurled the gauntlet at the nearest statue, and the leather didn't leave her grip. No, she tried again. It stuck to her hand as if soldered. Wildly, she tried to shake it off and then raised terrified eyes to Strax's face. Theronitz said he couldn't let it go. I thought he meant he wouldn't, because he didn't trust us to help him, but he couldn't. Desperate fire lit Strax's gaze. Grunting, he surged forward, yet he was almost buried to his waist now, fighting for every inch. No, 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 no. With sobbing breaths, Mara ripped at her hand, trying to tear away the gauntlet, but although she could adjust her grip on the leather, she couldn't release it. The stone guardians were almost upon them, huge, unstoppable. Drop me, Mara begged Strax. Leave me here and save yourself. As you did upon the cliff? Each word was a grunt from between clenched teeth and a grimace of effort that transformed his expression into a mad grin. Never. Then no, I love you, she whispered fiercely, clinging to him. I love you, but love isn't enough. That realization slammed into Mara even as the nearest guardian raised his sword, lupine helmet gleaming beneath the sun. It is enough, Mara, Strax denied, his arms holding her tighter, tucking her closer to his chest as if his heart could guard her from the blade about to descend upon her head. I will carry you the distance. And she believed he could. Never had Mara known anything as mighty as her husband's heart. But love was not all they needed now. Trust me, Strax, she implored softly, lifting her hand to his clenched jaw. Trust me. Abruptly, he stopped, as did the guardians. The statues stood frozen with arms reaching for the gauntlet and swords swinging for their necks, and their blades halted only inches from Strax and Mara's heads. But the guardians didn't retreat. Instead, they remained, as if waiting. A sob of relief tore from Mara's throat. Have the hands stopped pulling? Strax confirmed her hope with a short nod, amazement flaring through his expression. They only hold me in place. What did you do? I remembered the story you told me of the Wolf Brothers. 
Shaking in his arms, she tried not to look at how close the guardian's sword was to the back of Strax's neck. Tried not to remember how quickly Farinet had been killed and pulled under. It wasn't kindness that stopped them before. I asked Farinet to trust me, and that is the magic needed here. Because the brothers loved each other, but they didn't trust each other to wield the gauntlet's power wisely and fairly. And love is always weakened without trust. Yes, Strax agreed. But his gaze was on the guardian behind her. Carefully, he turned her in his arms, shifting her weight to the opposite side. Putting himself in the path of the guardian's sword, Mara realized. So if the statue continued to swing, the blade would hit Strax instead of her. She caught his face, made him meet her eyes. With her heart in her throat, she whispered thickly, Do you truly trust me to wield this gauntlet? I do, Strax replied, and the same fire that lit his gaze as he'd spoken his wedding vows burned brightly behind his eyes again. I have watched you for months, Mara. I know the woman you are, and I trust that you will only use the weapon for reasons that are good and right. Joy swept through Mara, because her husband so clearly believed every word he spoke, so clearly believed in her. But dread followed when the guardians still didn't retreat. Heart thundering, she frantically looked between the statues. You trust me to wield the gauntlet. Why isn't that enough? Because the brothers needed to trust each other. Not just one trusting the other, but both. Strax's gruff reply swung her gaze back to his face, where bleak agony darkened his expression. Forgive me, Mara, forgive me. Fear clutched her chest. Forgive what? I trust you with the gauntlet. She didn't believe Strax would ever wear it, unless he had no other choice. But even then, he'd never misuse its power. She believed that with all of her heart. Forgive me for not being a man you could believe in or trust. His voice roughened, his self-torment bare upon his face. These past months, I have betrayed my heart again and again, rarely helping you, though I could have eased your journey, hurting you with the words I spoke. Only a week past, you didn't even trust me to remove the enchanted collar without abusing my power over you, but held a knife to my throat until it was done. A few days of marriage cannot make up for six months. But I swear to you, Mara, you can trust that I will never betray my heart or you again. Breath catching, Mara stared at him, because he spoke truth. A week passed, she hadn't trust him, not his words, not his actions. Yet since that day, her feelings had utterly changed. Before their marriage, she'd wished that Strax was a man who would comfort and help her, who would love her and believe in her. Now, she no longer wished, because Strax had proven over and over again, he was that man. I do, she said boldly, gazing into his eyes, and realized this was what the guardians waited for. Because wearing the gauntlet wouldn't be the only way to wield it. You have more power over me than an enchanted collar ever could give, Strax, because I love you but I trust that you will never abuse that power over me and make me misuse the gauntlet. Strax's eyes closed. Mara's heart stopped. Then she saw his naked relief and realized the hands had released him. The statues began to withdraw, and in the next moment, she was laughing and crying as Strax carried her out of the keep. 
Once beyond the ruined wall, she threw the gauntlet onto the ground. His lust rose fiercely between them, and Mara kissed him with all the love bursting within her heart, even as her body slickened with need. Gently, Strax lowered her to the sun-warmed grass, but there was no gentleness in his kiss or his hands as he shoved her tunic to her waist and ripped open his leathers. Say it, he demanded, releasing his massive length. I love you, Strax. She fisted her hands in his hair and dragged his mouth back to hers. I love you. With a powerful thrust, he drove deep. Mara welcomed him with a glad cry against his mouth, her inner muscles clutching his thick cock as Strax fucked her in a frenzy of love and relief that soon turned to pure pleasure. She came, writhing and screaming beneath him, and he groaned her name as his pulsing length pumped her full of his seed. His kiss gentled then, and he rolled until she laid atop him, grinning up at her. You are a champion now, my wife. Mara laughed, for indeed she had won the tournament. I could not have done it without your help, she said truthfully, still in awe of the strength that had allowed him to carry her so far across the keep, and of his belief and trust that had allowed her this victory, because she could never have claimed the gauntlet alone. Love only needed one, but trust took two. Yet her journey was not over, and they could not linger here. Her family was still imprisoned in Solegius's dungeon, and even if they traveled at a faster pace than they'd come, it was still a long distance back to Aramund. On a sigh, she rose to her feet and picked up the gauntlet from where she'd thrown it down. So far she'd come for this, and there was still so far to go. She felt Strax's gaze upon her as, her heart pounding, she slipped the weapon onto her hand. Though the leather made from the god's heart appeared stiff, the fit of the glove was supple around her fingers, and she felt no different. It is many months' journey back to Aramond, she said. I must learn to wield this in that time, yet I know not even where to begin. The gauntlet uses the magic of its wearer, so learn to focus yours, Strax suggested. Think of your love for your family, your desire to free them. So much love for her brothers and sisters, her mother and father. Closing her eyes, she pictured their faces, and pure emotion surged through her chest. She opened her eyes within a dark, dank cell. In front of Mara, her mother sat on the floor with her youngest siblings, scratching figures into the dirt, teaching them to calculate sums. Her mother's dark hair was shorn close to her scalp, and Mara had a clear vision of her mother picking lice from tangled and greasy clumps, and felt her mother's despair and frustration and determination as she sliced through the long strands, and heard her father's warm voice telling her mother that she was as beautiful as ever to him. I cannot give up now. I cannot give up now. I cannot give up now. That was also her father's voice, not a memory, but happening now, though not spoken aloud. Instead, her father only thought it, Mara turned toward the sound, and pain ripped through her heart when she saw his emaciated form. His eyes were on the door as he carefully, secretly, sharpened a bit of stone. His mind filled with thoughts of using the blade to kill the cruel guards and to free his family. And at the same time, Mara knew his fevered imaginings. She also saw every bite that he'd given to his children. 
How many times he'd insisted he wasn't hungry, even while his stomach seemed to gnaw holes in from within. Mara? That was her eldest brother's voice, who looked at her now in confusion and uncertainty. But a pained cry pulled Mara's gaze to where her mother was staring at her, a trembling hand over her mouth and tears filling her eyes, her mind screaming denials and her heart already grieving, as if she believed Mara's appearance in this cell must mean her daughter was dead. Then Mara's second sister whispered, are you a ghost? And Mara shook her head. Turning, she waved her gauntleted hand and the dungeon door exploded outward. With a flicker of her eyelashes, she slaughtered the guards who came running. Mara wasn't a ghost. She was a champion with the power of a god. She went in search of Solegius. Chapter 9 Strax the Guardian Mara left him, yet she also remained. For three hours, she hovered upright, her feet dangling above the ground. She was motionless, except for her hair, which blew around her as if she were caught in a storm. Yet if there was a storm, Mara was the sun at the center, for her eyes and skin glowed brightly gold. When she came back to him, it was sudden. The glow dimmed, and Strax caught her as she fell out of the air. When she sank to her knees, he sank with her. It is done, she said in a thick voice, pulling the gauntlet from her hand. Selegius and his warlords, his slavers, I killed them all. Strax could hardly comprehend it. All? She nodded, her chin wobbling. I looked into their hearts and their minds, and if I saw nothing but cruelty, then I... Her haunted gaze rose to meet his. You trusted that I would always use the gauntlet for right and good. I think what I did was right. I don't know if it was good. That you wonder only makes me more certain of you, Strax said his heart aching for her. Strax had fought in wars before, had seen many battles. He knew what nightmares tore at her now and would have done anything to spare her from them. But his Mara had not asked to be spared. I need to put it back, she whispered. He frowned. The gauntlet? She nodded. I finished what I needed to do. And it terrifies me to know this much power is in one person's hands, even if that person is me. That she thought so was another reason Strax would never be afraid of that gauntlet in her possession. Selegius will not be the only tyrant or sorcerer to ever threaten Aramond. No, but we will try to defeat any others through usual means. Riley, she smiled at him. And if we cannot, we know where to find the gauntlet. That was truth. So Strax kissed her, then walked with her back to the keep, stunned by the realization that his wife had held the gods' hearts in her hands and was willing to let them go. Yet she'd never let go of his heart. 
even to save herself. Never had he loved her so much. Never had he felt so humbled by her love. They faced no danger within the keep. When she placed the gauntlet onto the altar, the marble guardians knelt and bowed their heads in her direction. Mara blushed and appeared uncertain. But Strax thought they didn't show enough respect. The stone kings ought to have been crawling at her feet. Outside the keep again, it seemed that a burden dropped from her shoulders. Never had he seen her smile so bright, her laugh so sunny. She told him how she had flown as a bird, and how after killing Selegius and his warlords, she had returned to her family's side to restore her father's strength and tell them she would be bringing a husband home with her. And all the while she spoke, such happiness shined from her, as if she still glowed, because she did. Mara saw his fierce gaze upon her and slowly stopped, biting her lip. I have just realized, before I gave up the gauntlet, I should have looked for your brother to see where he was. Which she clearly believed was at the bottom of the Ilwyn Sea. Yet, Strax knew Arik had survived. He shrugged. We will find one another again. You are so certain? Strax nodded, then caught her hand and drew it to his side, where the runes softly glowed with the power locked inside him. These runes contain my magic beneath my skin, but I still can sense enchantments, just as I can always sense my twin, no matter how far he is. So I do not know where Arik is, but I know that he lives. Oh. A laughing smile curved her soft mouth. All this time... I thought you were too mule-brained to admit that he'd drowned. Strax grinned. I am that, too. Perhaps we'll find him on our journey back then. He's bound by the same blood oath as you, so he might have continued following the tournament route. He might have... She fell silent, staring ahead and Strax was not wholly surprised when her eyes filled with a golden light and power softly glowed from her skin. Yet this time, she did not leave him or hover above the ground. Instead, she whispered, I see him. He is with a woman. Strax snorted out a laugh. Yes, that was very much like Arik. A frown creased Mara's brow. A red ribbon is wrapped around their hands. They're being married. Strax's eyebrows shot upward. That was very much not like Arik. He's in chains, Mara said, her voice full of sudden worry. It appears he is being forced to marry. At that, Strax shook his head. Arik has never been forced to do anything he did not wish to. The glow faded from Mara's skin, and she looked to him, blinking and confused. I wasn't wearing the gauntlet, she said shakily.
She wasn't, but no one could wield so much power without it touching her in return. And perhaps she was not the only one the power had touched. Before she'd worn the gauntlet, Strax had spent his seed within her many times. He drew her close, spreading his hand protectively over her belly. He'd sworn a blood oath to prevent anyone from misusing the gauntlet's power, the same power she still carried within her. Perhaps that power wasn't as strong as while wearing the glove, but it mattered little to him. Then you are well and truly caught, my wife, he said against her lips, even if you wish to rid yourself of me. Always will I be your guardian. Protecting you will forever be my duty. I am your duty? Eyes narrowed, she pushed playfully at his chest. Then I say that you are my prize for winning this tournament. Strax would never argue with that, though it was he who'd won the greatest treasure on this journey and he suspected the journey ahead would be much slower and longer, with many mornings when they lingered in bed. But there was no lingering now, only urgent need as Mara pushed him down onto the grass, straddling him with the intention of claiming her prize. Then claim him she did, embracing his swollen length in a heaven of wondrous heat. Groaning, Strax thrust upward. Never had any man been so blessed as he was to have such a wife with a mind so clever and a cunt so tight. His heart pounded in his chest as his cock pounded inside her. Blunt fingers sifting through her curls, he stroked her clit to the same carnal rhythm, his enraptured gaze locked upon the exquisite beauty of her face. Like a summer storm, his wife moved over him, hot and wet and fast. When her eyes closed and her spine arched, her rose-tipped breasts lifting toward the sun, his love for her struck him so powerfully that only through sheer will did Strax halt the spurt of his seed. His treasure of a wife glowed fiercely with the strength of her pleasure, her convulsing sheath tightly clutching his shaft. Lost to the ecstasy of that passionate grip, he held back his release until her shudders passed. Then Strax ended this journey exactly as he'd begun, believing that Mara was the most beautiful woman he'd ever beheld. And by coming last. Welcome back. Hi. So, like we said earlier in the episode, we're going to be off next week for spring break, but we are coming back the week after on March, I'm sorry, April 13th. We're coming back with Olivia Turner. She has a brand new book for you called I Look Good on You. So be sure and follow social media and stuff next week. We're going to be posting a couple of things. We have some stuff, maybe a giveaway or two. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll pre, pre-do some work in headquarters and maybe we'll throw some stuff in there too while I'm gone. So yeah, just we're excited to have a little Easter break and go see some friends and give them big hugs, big vaccinated hugs. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to hop in and enter to win the six months of Kindle Unlimited. Yeah, that's an awesome giveaway this week. Katie Wilde is showing out. All right. <laughs> Tell them what to do. Fuck your day up. Make today your bitch. 
Don't be a dick. Bye, guys. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. Read me romance. Read.